And we, uh, we wanted today to, to focus on celebrating um, Epic and Young Life in the Middle East. Uh, and so I know we spent a good bit of time there, but we are going to continue on in our, our journey in the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, you can go and open up to Romans chapter 5. If you need a Bible, uh, slip up a hand. We have some people that have some Bibles. They'll walk around and get a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along. You'll have to forgive my voice today. Obviously, I'm dealing with some allergy stuff. Tis the season. Um, so, <laughs> sniffing and, and hacking, you'll have, just have to forgive me today. But also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Sadie and I just got back from our, our big trip. If you didn't know, so we, uh, we decided, this is a while ago, that um, for our 20th anniversary, we wanted to go hike what's called the Camino. And the Camino is, a, is an ancient pilgrimage over a thousand years. Um, followers of Jesus have walked this ancient path to a city called Santiago in Spain. It's where legend has it that uh, James, the brother of John, after being martyred in Jerusalem where his uh, body um, ended up being buried. And so there's a giant cathedral there in uh, Santiago. And, and so pilgrims have made their way to, to um, honor God and his legacy for a thousand plus years. And, uh, and so there's different routes you can go. Uh, the way that we went covered about 150 miles. Uh, we hiked about 120 of those miles over eight days. And, uh, and it was amazing. It was also the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, it was... Uh, Day one and day two, we, we hiked 18 miles on the first day, 20 miles on the second day. And, uh, and actually, the, uh, the second day, we were only supposed to walk 15 miles, and, or 15 to 16 miles. And, uh, and we got to the village, that, or the town that we were going to be staying at, and, uh, and we get there, and then we realize that the place that we had booked to stay was actually about five miles outside of town. And so I, uh, and so we get there, and, and at this point, I mean, my legs are sore, my calves are all knotted up, I mean, my knees are hurting, and, and we're starting to walk, you know, we're getting to the town, praise the Lord, we're almost there, and I, and I, I get there, and I'm like, I'm done, like, I am done, I can't walk another step, and, uh, and I could see it on my wife's face. So my wife is like one of the most, uh, um, like, competitive. I mean, she's an incredible woman, like just drives after things, gets stuff done. Like, I mean, she is like an, a an athlete, just amazing. And so she, in her mind, we're walking everywhere. And I could just see that disappointment of like, wait, we're going to take a taxi to the hotel. And <clears throat> my pride at that point, you know, when my biggest fears is that idea of disappointing somebody, much less disappointing my wife. And so, you know, at first I was like, I'm done. We're taking a taxi. And that look on her face, this is all within like a 15 second, you know, like it was like this. And, uh, and I see her face and I'm like, forget it. We're walking. And she's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's okay. We'll, we'll get a taxi. You know, like we'll pick up the Camino tomorrow. We've done what we meant to do today. And I'm like, no, we're doing this thing. You know, at this point, like, I mean, Humility should have won, won out, but, you know, my pride that I'm going to prove myself. So we start walking out of town. The whole time she's like, are you sure? We, we really, it's okay. It's like, no, we're doing this. So we start walking. Google Maps begins taking us up this mountain, up this, like, Jeep road. And about halfway up the mountain, the road disappears. I mean, it is, like, completely overgrown. And it's not just, and I'm not exaggerating at all. It's not just overgrown. It's overgrown with, like, thick cactus bushes. 
And so we're going up. I'm in, in just intense pain. Every step is excruciating. I'm walking like an old man at this point. Like every step, I'm like this. I got my walking sticks up this mountain through cactus. Like I'm getting we're cut and bleeding. And it was at some point like so absurd, I just started laughing. You know, I was like, this couldn't get any worse. And so finally we get over the mountain, find the place that we're staying. It was actually a pretty cool place that she found, only to find out that there was a road that went around the mountain that was much shorter and much easier. I come walking into the hotel lobby. I can barely, I mean, I can barely walk. This is day two, by the way. Like this, if this was a windowsill, like I was like, while Sadie talked in broken Spanish whoop, to, the, uh, to the person that was, that was at the desk. Um, so we wake up day three. By the way, this whole sermon is not just about my trip to the Camino. Don't worry. <laughs> this is going somewhere. So day three, I wake up, and my, and my ankle is swollen, like twice like its normal size. And, uh, and every step was absolutely just excruciating. And, and so we start going. We have to keep going. Like, I mean, like there's nowhere to go <laughs> except forward. And, uh, and so we start walking. It's another 15-mile day. Every step is intense pain. In my imagination— going into this trip it was going to be this glorious god-filled experience like i mean just contemplative hearing from the lord and you know just creative dreaming with god and this beautiful intimate moment with my wife it's amazing when you're exhausted and in pain the ugliness that comes to the surface and you're not dreaming about anything except the six inches right in front of your face. So day one, I, I chose like for my prayer word for the, as we're walking, I was on to meditate on the Lord's Prayer. And it's this sweet thing. Day three, it was Romans 5, the first verse, or the first, first couple of verses. Rejoice. And therefore, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And this was the question. It wasn't I was meditating on, oh, man, I'm in so much joy right now in this pain. It was how in the world, God, are you supposed to rejoice when you're suffering? Like, how are you supposed to find joy in this pain? And that literally, I mean, every step, that's what rejoice. We can rejoice in our suffering. We, and even more, we rejoice in our suffering. Let me read this in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to spend a few minutes there. I, I know John spent some time on this last week and so proud of him. Uh, John, our, our pastor in training, that was actually, he didn't share this. That was his first time to preach a sermon. And so I uh, just I thought he did an amazing job. And so we're gonna, I'm going to kind of uh, start here and then we'll continue on to the end of 5, what he set up last week. But Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul basically saying, you know, that, that he set up the whole stage that all of mankind has fallen short of God's glory. All of mankind is condemned by their sinfulness, separated from God, except that God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ, took our sin upon himself that we could be reconciled, reunited with God. 
And therefore, because of God's act of righteousness through Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous before God. We can be, uh, we can be declared not guilty. Our sin atoned for and peace with God. We are no longer at war with the God of this universe in conflict with God. And he continues on that not only do we have this eternal, incredible, epic, heavenly hope, peace with God in the eternal realms, but on top of that, in this world, in this life, not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so as I'm taking, you know, in this place of pain, and I know it's a, it's a silly, I mean, it's just a physical pain in, a, in my legs and ankles, but for me, it's very real, and uh, in a very real way, asking this question, how do you find joy in the suffering of life? And I know all of us, I mean, no one would argue that this world is filled with pain. We've all experienced pain in different ways, whether physical pain. Some of you may be in pain right now as you're sitting where you're sitting. We've also experienced emotional pain. We know what it's like to grieve, to hurt, to feel abandoned, lonely, lost, afraid. That emotional angst of living in a scary, broken world. We, we know relational pain, don't we? We know what it's like to feel abandoned. We know what it's like to feel rejected. We know what it's like to have somebody wound us with their words or their actions or their inactions the way they were supposed to show up and never did. Neglect, rejection. We know that pain of relationship or broken relationship. We know what it's like to experience pain. Some of it that is self-inflicted, things that the, the consequences of the choices that we made. But also some of it, we had no choice in the matter. It was things that happened to us. Even sometimes in spite of the best choices that we've made. Have you been there? Where you tried your best, did your hardest, worked at your utmost for, for goodness or truth or rightness and all of it to still blow up in your face. To have tried so hard to hold a relationship or a friendship together. To have tried so hard to, to succeed in a project or a job or a role or a task. And still to have that thing turn on you in a way that has created pain. We know what it's like to experience pain. The interesting thing in this word, flipsis, in the Greek, is that it carries this idea of, of grapes being pressed in a wine press. This idea of the pressures of this world, the ways that we're pressed in on, the ways that we suffer, the ways our lives are stressed. And yet somehow God says that we don't just endure those things, we, we, we don't just survive those things, but somehow we find joy in those things. And so as I'm taking this painful journey of what feels like a million miles, that over and over again asking this question, how do I find joy in suffering? And then recognizing that the answer Paul gives is that it's not about the pain, it's about the perspective. Because what he says is that we rejoice in our suffering because we know 
that suffering produces endurance or perseverance. That in the, the leaning in, in the experience of suffering, God is doing something inside of us. He's producing something in us. He's growing and maturing us into a place of substance and strength, what he ends up calling character. We become the kind of men and women that we dream of being because in that place of pressure, in that place of suffering, in that place of struggle, God is forming us and shaping us. And so the question becomes, what is this pain producing in me? And where is this pain leading me? We live in a culture that would tell you that you're not supposed to experience pain. That life, the ideal best life is meant to be pain-free, and if you're experiencing any kind of pain, emotional, relational, mental, psychological, physical, there's something wrong. Something wrong with you, something that you need to fix immediately, and so here's a pill to do it. Right? Or if we don't have a pill, there's a million different other forms of medication that we can numb or distract or busy our lives with. That we can, the, the number one goal is to avoid pain, maximize pleasure, avoid pain, ignore pain. And what God says is actually, no, lean into pain and let your pain lead to me. Because in that place of struggle, in that place of suffering, I'm waiting to meet you there. And when I meet you there, I'm wanting to form something, produce something in you that will actually end up getting you to the place that you want to go, to become the kind of person that you want to be. So we can rejoice. We can rejoice in, uh, in the eternal perspective of God, but we can also, that we have peace with God, but we can also rejoice in the presence of God with us in the midst of the brokenness of this world and the inevitable pain of this life. Paul will pick up this theme of rejoicing further down in chapter 5. In verse 10, as he talks about being reconciled to God, being back in relationship with the God who, the creator who knows us, who sees us, who loves us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That we are being invited into a whole new way of life. That we don't just wander through to heaven one day, trying to endure, but we get to experience the presence and the power of God with us in every moment. That we're being invited into this whole new way of life, a new identity, a new status, a new reality that doesn't change the brokenness of this world that we live in, but it changes the way that we relate to that brokenness. And as we are being transformed, as God is carrying out this work in us, we become agents of transformation. It's Jesus' prayer that, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
As a church, we say that our mission is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. But we believe that the restoration of all things begins with the restoration of his people. Restored people, restoring places. As we encounter the presence of God in our lives, shaping and forming us into the image of Christ, not in spite of, but through the suffering and the struggles of our lives. That we in turn then become agents of hope and healing in, for the brokenness of this world. We can show up in a place like the West Bank that everyone else would say is, is lost in conflict, is lost in struggle, and say, no, 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 there is a living and active God who loves his children and has never given up on anybody and continues to show up. And yes, there will continue to be struggle. Yes, there will be continue to pain, be pain, but God is with you in it. And we have peace with him for eternity, but we have presence with him for this life that we live. And that changes everything. That gospel reality, the presence of God with us in every moment, on Tuesday at 6 a.m. as we drive to work, on Thursday at 4 p.m. as we're having that conversation with our teenager, that Saturday morning in that fight with our wife, or that conflict with our neighbor, as we step into the callings and the purposes that God has placed on our life, feeling insecure and inadequate, God continues to show up because his presence is available with us. We have been reconciled. If he saved us in his death, how much more is God going to do through the life of Christ? Paul continues. With this question of answering this question of where did this brokenness come from in the first place? Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So pause there. Paul goes back to Genesis. To say that the, the suffering we experience, the struggles of this world, the sin that separates us from God is not because God of the anger of God is not a, a spiteful, wrathful God, it's not God's fault. This comes back to mankind's decision in the garden to walk away from the God that made them, that knows them, that loves them, the God of life. And God made it very clear back at the very beginning of Genesis. If you walk away from me, the God of life, the author of life, what you're going to get is death. Now, it's interesting, in Romans, Paul begins this thought. He's going back to, the, like, where does this brokenness come from that God is saving us from, that God is being present, that present, God is present with us in? But then he gets interrupted by his own thought. So if you, some of your translations have a dash there after verse 12. So what Paul begins is this thought that sin comes into this world and death was sin because of the, of the choice of Adam to willfully rebel against God. But then he kind of goes into a deep dive into what that sin of Adam is and how that relates to our sin today. So verse 13. So, but pause after verse 12. He'll pick it back up later in chapter 5. And he kind of does a, a quick little aside here. For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where, where there is no law. 
And so he's talking to a bunch of, of Jewish people that are looking at the work God has done with the giving of the law, with God showing up in the promises to Abraham and, and his uh, faithfulness through the prophets. And he's saying you know, the sin has been present from the very beginning. And yes, you have the law, and the law was given in response to sin, but sin was still here even before the law was given. Yet death reigned, Paul writes, from Adam to Moses, Moses being uh, the one to whom God gave the law, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. In other words, Adam willfully disobeyed God, chose to go against God's clear command to him, don't eat the fruit from the tree. And not every human has made that clear of a willful decision to disobey God's word, especially if they didn't have the law to even know what God's word was. But everyone, regardless of whether it's willful disobedience, Paul has already spent four chapters making it very clear all humans have fallen short of God's intent. All humans have fallen short of the standard to which God desires humanity to live. We've all made choices that have been selfish and self-centered, that have wounded and hurt others and wounded and hurt ourselves and wounded and hurt creation. All of us have sinned in ways, lived, sorry, in ways apart from God's desire and design. In other words, we have all sinned, even if we didn't know what we were doing, Paul says, like Adam. So even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam isn't just a representative of humanity. And there's all kinds of questions and debates for the last 2,000 years about how does Adam's sin, Adam's choice, uh, relate to me? I didn't eat the fruit, and I didn't eat from the, the tree that God told me not to eat from. Adam did. How can I be responsible for Adam's decision? There's all kinds of answers throughout history. Uh, what's clear at the end of the day is that we are all responsible for our own sin. And so whether that is that when Adam ate and rebelled against God, it altered the DNA of mankind, that sin is now inherent in our bloodstream, so to speak, that we are born with this innate inclination to sin, or it's as Adam as a representative who, in other words, any of us in the same shoes as Adam would have made the exact same choice. That Adam is a type of who we are, but also at the same time, Adam is a type of God's solution to mankind's problem. Adam, the one that God was, was bringing into this world as a representative, created in God's image, the first man, was also a picture of the man to come, the image of the invisible God, who would live in perfect obedience to God and would right the wrong of Adam, and thereby also right the wrong of each and every one of us. So verse 15, but the free gift, which is this grace of God, is revealed in Jesus, is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, through Adam's sin, and therefore everyone sins from that point forward, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So in other words, Adam, uh, Paul is setting up Adam and Jesus side by side to say, if through Adam sin abounded in the world, how much more through Jesus will God's grace 
abound to all of humanity. This is a huge thought. Because I know just if you sit down and watch cable news or read a newspaper or just look at the world around you, it can seem like sin is winning. Amen? That every generation is just worse than the previous generation. That the world is darker than it's ever been. But what Paul is saying 2,000 years ago almost is just as true now as it was then. If, God, if, if the brokenness of death through sin reigned through Adam's choice and into all of humanity, how much more will God's grace and life reign through Jesus Christ through humanity to all people? How much more greater is the love of God than the failure of man? And that is the hope that we can hold on to. That we are no longer, and it will continue on, and we'll get into this next week, bound hostage by or slaves to the sin of this world. We're no longer imprisoned and enchained by death. Death is no longer king. Notice as you read Romans 5, how many times the word reign, R-E-I-G-N, is in these passages. The question becomes, who is king? To reign means to rule as king. Who is, reigning, who is ruling as king? You know, what Paul will say is that for generations, since Adam, death reigned. Death was king. Sin was king through death. But now, there's a different king. Whose reign and rule is at hand. And therefore, we no longer have to live as if sin is our master, as if death is our king. But we can live free, whole, at peace even as we continue to walk in the brokenness of this world because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? Verse 15, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So as we continue in worship together, I love that Joseph began our worship talking about communion, about this invitation, this, this uh, proposal of God to humanity to be back in oneness with him. And in Romans 5, Paul makes it clear that it is because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of God showing up, taking on flesh, living among, among us, going to the cross and his death in our place, and then three days later rising again from the dead to conquer sin and death once and for all, that we can live in relationship, forgiven for our sins, Restored to our God. And so I invite you, even as we begin worship, to communion. That symbolic act of the presence of God with us when Jesus took that loaf of bread at the Last Supper on the way out the door to the cross and said, This is my body given for you. Take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we break off that piece of bread and remembrance of the, the sacrifice of Jesus given on our behalf 
and just as real as that bread shared amongst us that makes us one, makes us one with our Father as well, as real as that bread is in our mouth, is the presence of God with us in our pain, in our struggle, in our sin. And then he continues, and he says, in this cup, that Passover cup that they've been celebrating for thousands of years, remembering God's deliverance out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, that cup is actually my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and every time you do this, do this remembrance of me. And so we dip the bread in that cup, and we, we take that wine, and we remember, just as Jesus did with his disciples, the reality of the blood shed that forgives us of our sin, the places that we're condemned by our own guilt, the places we deserve death. God instead, by his grace, extends us life. Are you reigning in life? Or is there still that part of you that believes that sin still rules, that death still is king? And so maybe this morning, as we worship, as we take communion, we invite you to come and to kneel in that act of submission, of surrender to God, to recognize that Jesus reigns as king, living and active, present and available, even right now for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you walk with us. You walk with us when we can't see six inches in front of us. God, when it feels like pain is overwhelming, whatever that looks like, that you walk with us in the celebrations and the glorious times when we dream and laugh and rejoice in all of it, you are present and real. And so Lord, whatever each one of us brought in to this space this morning, whatever baggage of guilt or shame, places we need to receive your forgiveness, Lord, places of struggle or stress that we feel pressed or overwhelmed, will you meet us there, Lord? Will you be our peace? We receive your forgiveness. Will you walk with us in life? And it's in your precious and powerful name that I pray.